Uh, how's everybody doing? Well, spring. How are we? Everybody doing well? Man, Jason talks a lot of smack, John. Um, I won't run that 5K. I'll watch on Facebook Live or something. Um, yeah, it's an honor and a privilege for me to be here this morning with you. Uh, Pastor Jason is one of my closest friends. He mentored me. Um, I was not the number one seed to take over that youth ministry, especially. I barely knew Pastor Jason when I was in high school, um, but the years since, he has become a close friend. He has speaking truth and love both into me and into my marriage, um, and he's a great guy, and you guys are honored to have him as your pastor. I think Wellspring Church, though, is also a really special thing. You know, you look through Tom's River, you see lots of churches. If you look through the history of Tom's River, you see lots of churches that have come and have gone. When I was preparing my message for this morning, I was reading through the Old Testament, and I stumbled upon a book that I haven't really opened in a long time. It's the book of Esther. In the book of Esther, Esther becomes queen, but she's kind of nervous because she's got a lot of opposition. And in Esther 4, 14, this guy named Mordecai comes to Esther and says, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will rise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this? You know, you could walk into almost any uh, municipal building in, Bar in uh, Tom's River, almost any school, almost any shopping plaza, drop the word Wellspring, and people have at least heard of you. I think Wellspring Church has been placed in Barnegat for such a time as this. And so, oh, sorry, in Tom's River. I'm from <laughs> Barnegat. Sorry. I was, yeah. You know what I mean. <laughs> but I believe God has put you guys in Tom's River for such a time as this. So as, as a church planting becomes discouraging, as you guys run into roadblocks, just know that it's not in your own power and your own cool music that you're here, but through the power of God within you that Wellspring Church is making a difference in Tom's River and beyond. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. God, I pray for this service, Lord, that you would open up our eyes to see you. That you would soften our hearts before you, God. That at this time I, I would move away from this podium, Lord, and that the word of God would be what speaks through me. Lord, empty me of myself and fill me with your spirit as I preach your word. Allow us all to hear something this morning that not only encourages us, but points us closer to you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. Amen. Come on, all God's people said. Amen. If you're happy to be at Wellspring Church in Toms River, New Jersey, put your hands together this morning. Where are my people in the room who were born in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s? Anybody? Do you guys remember these bad boys? Look at the screen for me. This picture. Remember these? Okay, so they still have them, but they were way cooler back then. I remember Power Wheels. They were the best. They were so cool. I would, you know, you'd want to race your friends. They were awesome. Fantastic thing. But one thing I remember about Power Wheels more than anything was the commercial because the song for Power Wheels would just get drilled into our little ch uh, children brains and we would never stop talking about it. So out of nostalgic, why don't you go ahead and watch this uh, commercial. It was a dark and stormy day. Got the car, got the kid, gotta get through. Good thing my renegade's got a roof. Best song ever.
I mean, that's the awesomest thing in the world as a kid, right? Okay, like, that kid is driving a Jeep. He gets the girl. Did you catch that? And he saves a stinking puppy. Like, you were the coolest kid in school if you had a power wheel, the girl, and save a puppy, which made the girl like, okay, anyway. But anyway, I remember when I was younger, I had a power wheel. I had a Tonka truck power wheel, and it was great because it had a button that would actually dump the back of the dump truck. And so I would put all kinds of things in the dump truck. I'd put dirt in the dump truck. I'd put rocks in the dump truck. A couple times I convinced my sister to sit in the dump truck so I could push the button. But what was really cool about Power Wheels is we thought we were on top of the world, right? We thought we were the coolest kids on the block. Whoever had the coolest one with the coolest decals, I mean, everybody was envious of us until we turned 16 or 17 and we got behind a real car. And then we realized once we experienced the real car, we never really wanted to go back to the power wheels. See, I think power wheels were great, but they were they overpromised and underdelivered of what truly driving a car would be like. I think, I think a lot of us this morning are stuck in a cheap, overpromised, and underdelivered version of our own faith. Where we're comfortable with the power wheels version, the oh, we're gonna go five miles an hour and be comfortable, and everyone's gonna think we're cool, but we get behind the real wheel of our faith and realize that our car can do great things, but it also can do a lot of damage. And we get, oh, well, it's too dangerous, so I'm just going to stick with this cheap, overpromised, under-delivered version of my faith. See, let me say it this way. I think many of us are attracted with going through the motions of the Christian life than actually experiencing the miracles of the Christian life. I think we could walk into this place and we can raise our hands and we can sing the songs and we can say hi to everybody and tell them we're doing great even though on the inside we're falling apart and we don't really want to open up a little bit. And so we're okay with the motions of the Christian faith. Come to church on Sunday, do my thing, go home and then do it again next week. But many of us, we struggle with experiencing the miracles of the Christian faith because we're comfortable in that fake version. If you want to experience the Christian life that God has called us to, then we must be willing to live differently. If you have your Bibles this morning or if you want to follow along on the screens, open them up to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, we're going to start in verses 2 through 6. During the high priesthood of Ananias and Caphias, a word of the Lord came to, the, to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and though the rough places will become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. How many of you guys are still excited when you go out to the mailbox and you find a letter with your name on it, right? Like, I get excited, although for me, a lot of times, I go out to the mailbox and I find a lot of junk mail. So I'll find one that says, you know, you're pre-approved to go into more debt, or another one, you know, special offer on an item that you really don't need. Or my favorite is the ones that say, congratulations, right? You've won. And then you look down at the address label and it says your name or current residence, Right? And so you see these things and you get excited about mail and things like that. But how do we know when we've received something special? You know, sure, we're filled with people that are encouraging to us. We have people all around us all the time that are speaking life into us. But how can we spot the differences between a God message and a junk message? 
Even in this passage, it seems that John the Baptist isn't really saying something that would be out of the ordinary for people to hear. Our verse says that John went into the land proclaiming that we should repent and be forgiven of our sins. But probably many of them, since they've heard this from so many people, probably responded with something like, oh boy, here's just another religious nut. But there was something different about John. You see, there had been no prophecy in Israel for 400 years. There was a bunch of imitations, but nobody listened. Israel was waiting in, in anticipation for a prophet. They knew that if the prophet came, that person would foretell the coming of the Messiah, who would save the world, Jesus. So they're waiting earnestly because they know in order for Jesus to come, there has to be a prophet. But it wasn't the message about from John that was different. It was his method. See, John demanded something of his hearers. He called them to repentance. He called them to change. First thing I want to share with you this morning is in order to live differently, we must realize that we are not enough. In order to live differently, we must realize that we are not enough. In the end of this section, Luke records a portion from the prophet Isaiah. I want to read it to you again. It says, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. See, many of us think that a relationship with God is a part of getting our lives back in order. I'm here to tell you today that we are not the answers to our problems. Jesus is. The portion of the prophecy that really struck out to me is that it says the rough places shall become level ways. Have you ever become so distracted with a circumstance in your life that it felt like your whole life was in chaos? When I was in fourth grade, I remember um, coming home from school, getting off the bus with my Hot Wheels button-down flame shirt on and my shark tooth necklace and getting off the bus and just be excited to come home, um, walking into my house and being excited because not only were my parents home, my siblings, but my, fam my extended family was there. So I've been blessed and I've had, I have family that live in England, I have family that live in Colorado and really everywhere in between. And sometimes I don't get to see people. Now this was back in the MySpace days, but I was too young for MySpace, so I couldn't really see them online or anything like that. And they got to come visit. So I was like, this is great. My cousins are here. My aunts are here. My uncles are here. They're going to hang out with me, and it's going to be awesome, right? And a couple days would go by, and, and, and we were hanging out, and it was fun and whatever. And then a couple days would go by, and then like a week went by. And like, you ever have extended family at your house, and you miss them? But then like after six hours, you're like, all right, it's time for you to go back home. Anybody? Anybody <laughs> done with that? Yeah, okay. So like, it's all right. It's okay. And so they come in, and, and they're there, and a week goes by, and another week goes by, and like some of them would leave, and then others would come, and then they'd come back. Like, why are all these, I, I want people at my house, but I don't want them here all the time, right? And so a couple weeks went by, and, and, I, and I knew my mom was like, you know, not feeling well, because everyone was hanging out with her, and they would always ask, well, how are you? How are you feeling? And I'm like, she's fine. She still tells me to clean my room. Like, it's all going to be okay. And how are you? And why, are you okay? And um, eventually, I just got so fed up with it because all they did was hang out with my mom. Now, little me with my shark tooth necklace, I just wanted to hang out with them. I wanted them to play. I wanted them to take them out on my power wheel. Like, I wanted to show them everything. So I got discouraged. I got a little bit jealous. And one night, I remember 
storming up the steps of my house, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to show them. I'm going to tell them. I'm going to tell them that they're hanging out with her. They should be hanging out with me. And I ran up the steps, and I remember shouting down the steps, Mom, it's not like you have cancer or anything. You're just sick. Why does everybody have to hang out with you? And going to my room and slamming my door and sitting on my bed and being like, that'll show them. They're going to come hang out with me. So like five minutes later, I get a knock on my door, and my dad and my uncle come in. And I'm like, oh, see, they're coming to hang out. No. They go, Brian, sit down. We've got to talk to you. It's like, okay. They said, your mom is sick, but your mom does have cancer. And in that moment, two things went through my head. The first thing was, I am the worst son in the world. Because I just screamed that, and that is, like, the worst thing I could do. The second thing I thought in my head was, my mom's going to die. And I remember, and I know all of us in here have been touched by people either, either close to us or in our sphere of influence that have gone through cancer. So it's not, it's not like I have to illustrate what that's like, because I know all of us pretty much have dealt with that at some level. And I, as a, as a fourth grader, I watched the next coming month, my mom go through treatment, go through radiation, go through chemotherapy, go through all these things, her hair fall out, her become weak and achy and not being able to do things that she usually used to do. And in my mind, I'm saying, well, God, you said you're good. Lord, God, we pray to you every day. We go to church every Sunday, but yet, why would, what? Like, my mom's not a bad person. Like, God, why would you allow her to? experience this, and at a young age, I had some serious doubt. See, you can become so distracted with your circumstance that you feel like your whole life is in chaos. And praise the Lord, about a year later, after going through all the treatment and everything, my mom was deemed to be in remission, that the cancer has been defeated, and, and to this day, she is still healthy and alive and doing well. Amen. But in the midst of that circumstance, your whole world is surrounded by that, right? Anybody ever go through that? In the midst of that circumstance, your whole life is in chaos. Listen, having a relationship with Jesus does not mean that your life will be perfect. But it does mean that you can find peace in the midst of it. See, we have to realize that we are not enough. Our plans, our ideas, they might sound great. You might have the best idea. It might be really, really good, but it's not God. See, Jesus in us is far better than anything I could ever come up with on my own, and I must realize that I am not enough. Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 9 says, he said, this is John the Baptist speaking, he said, therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So first we said in order to live differently, we must realize we're not enough. And second, in order to live differently, we must have a relationship with Jesus. When John began baptizing people, this wasn't a new thing for the Jews to see. The Jewish people have seen people get baptized before, but what happened is if you were a Gentile and you weren't a Jewish person and you wanted to become a Jew, that's how you would get baptized. But what John is saying is just because you were born into a Jewish family does not assure that you have a right relationship with God. You see, I think many of us today have grown up in religious homes. 
Sure, mom went to Catholic mass growing up all the time, or we would go to church on Sunday, or sometimes we would go and we would pray at dinner time at holidays, or when our one religious aunt was over, we would pray so that she would feel accepted, or whatever. A lot of, you guys laugh, come on. <laughs> Somebody's like, yeah. Or when grandma's there, all right, kids, everybody fold their hands, you know, you're actually going to wear shoes at the table, like all those things. I think a lot of us have grown up with that and have begun to believe that our faith is something that can, if our family's a Christian, then we're all Christians and we're all good. Let me tell you something very clear that's 100% scriptural. A relationship with Jesus Christ is something that is personal. It is not inherited. It's impossible to ride on the coattails of grandma's faith. I work with students all the time. I had a, a privilege to inherit such a wonderful group of students. We see about 95 to 100 middle school and high schoolers come out every single Tuesday night to our youth ministry. It's incredible. We get kids from all kinds of backgrounds. We got kids who have it all, and we have kids that literally don't know what they're going to have for breakfast tomorrow morning and everything in between. But what I get a lot is a lot of people go, well, you know, my grandma, she was a saint in her church. And since she was a saint, we're all going to be fine. We're good. We're good. We're covered. Grandma, grandma hooked that all up for us. Listen, Jesus died on a cross so he could have a relationship with you. Yes, he cares about your whole family. Yes, he cares about your grandma. Yes, he cares about your children, everybody in between. Absolutely. But listen, Jesus died not just so he could be a part of your family tree, but so he could be the roots of your family tree so that he could have a relationship with you and every single other person. I read once about an instant cake mix, of all things, that was a failure. There was this company, they were putting out one of those instant cake things, and they came up with a cake mix, and all you had to do was add water. That's it. You took the mix, you added water, you put it in the oven, boom, cake. Fantastic, right? But guess what? It didn't sell. Want to know why? Because the customers, after they did research, they realized that the customers didn't trust it. How could you just add water and get a cake? It was a little bit too fishy for them. So guess what? They didn't buy it. So the company goes, okay, I mean, we made it as easy as possible, but if they don't want to, they think it's too easy, We'll make it harder, <laughs> whatever. So they bring it back, and they change the formula, and then they put it back on the shelves, and then now it says add water and eggs, right? And guess what? Sold out. Went crazy because the people couldn't understand how simple the ingredients were. You see, I think a lot of times for us as Christians, and maybe you're still feeling out this whole church Christian thing, a lot of times we can often look at the gospel and realize that it's as simple as grace through faith and be done, that we go, well, you know what, that, that's, that's, too, that's too good, that, it's too good to be true, it's, it's too simple. we got to add some ingredients, and so we get in this mindset, well, yeah, it's grace through faith, but I also have to do a whole bunch of good stuff, too, to please God. And then if I do more good stuff, God will love me. Man, don't cheapen the ingredients. You know, praise God that he didn't make it like that, Right? Like that the recipe for salvation wasn't changed. The gospel we proclaim must be free of works, even though it sounds too easy. You know, John the Baptist concludes his sermon, and he says, like a funky little line, he says, Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Every life in this room, whether you're a Christian in here or not, produces something. You either produce good fruit or you produce bad fruit. Let me say it this way. People, you guys, we either build people up or we tear people down. 
we're either a blessing to people or we're a curse to people. John is saying that a Christian who is rooted in Jesus must bear good fruit. Now, like I just said, though, our faith isn't based on our works. What I mean by that is God doesn't keep some kind of scale in heaven of all the good stuff and all the bad stuff. And at the end of our life, if we have more good stuff than bad stuff, we get like an extra blessing. That's not a real thing. But on the other hand, James chapter 2 says that faith without works is dead. You see, we're promised eternal life by what Jesus has done on our behalf. But it's with that life that we can become a blessing to the people around us. I think one of the greatest issues in churches across America and across the world today is this, this tension between roots people and fruits people. And let me explain what I mean by that. One group, the roots people, talk a lot about Scripture, which is great. They read the Bible, they pray, they do all the religious things that you would expect in a church, but they have zero or little social concern and little involvement with the pain in the world around them. These are Christians that you would refer to probably as the holy huddle of perfect people that are fine with their four walls within their church, but God forbid they help the person struggling right outside their doors. I think a lot of churches are stuck in that. Then you have another group of people, that's the fruits people, that say, well, we don't really need to read the Bible, we don't really need to talk about Jesus, we just need to do nice things for other people. And I think that can become a dangerous thing too, because you become so consumed with outreach that you lose your faith in Jesus. Although they're doing good things, their faith is shallow. Listen, Christianity though isn't about being a roots person or a fruits person. John Stewart, a Scottish, uh, James Stewart, a Scottish preacher once said, it is very much easier to spend a dozen hours discussing and debating religion than a half an hour obeying God. We spend a lot of time sitting around debating what we should do when really we just need to be quiet and obey God. It's about being rooted in Jesus and then also producing fruit. We don't want to be so about ourselves that we neglect the world around us. On the other hand, we don't want to be so focused on social justice that we neglect the God who's actually given us the power to make a difference. Jesus is calling us to produce good fruits, but those fruits can only be produced and receive proper nutrition if our roots are in Jesus. Our passage continues in Luke chapter 3, 10 through 14. It says, and the crowds asked him, so the crowds now had heard John the Baptist, and they're asking him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to him, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations and be content with your wages. Have you ever uh, maybe left a sermon at church or you were watching one on TV or on YouTube and you go, okay, what do I do next, right? This is exactly how the crowds responded to John's message. John told 
the multitudes about generosity. He told them to work, to act in a work of love as opposed to a work of the law. Tax collectors and soldiers were, act, were asked to act honestly and justly in their professions. You know, John didn't say, all right, guys, get together. Make sure we all are ready to go. We're going to go out and we're going to march down in a parade. And we're going to talk to every single person we know and see if we can convert them to Christianity right now, right on the spot. What he told them is, in your professions, in your sphere of influences, in the places that God has planted you, be a blessing to others, not a curse to others. Be a light in a dark place. Build people up. Don't tear them down. Listen, Jesus is about changing the hearts of people. Without the hearts of people changed, then people won't be able to change the world. The third thing I want to share with you is in order to live differently, we must be willing to do things nobody else is doing. Corruption, theft, disloyalty, and selfishness was rampant during this time as it still is today. If we want to be a people that live differently, we must be willing to do things that nobody else is doing. I want to share with you a story. Uh, it's a true story about a girl named Jane. Jane was a nurse at a pediatric hospital, and Jane's, well, Jane worked in a, in a section of the hospital that was uh, designated for children that were born with addiction. So mom used drugs or was an alcoholic while pregnant with their baby, and because of that, the baby is born with an addiction that he or she never wanted. And so this little baby girl, Abby, she's four years old. She comes into Jane's, uh, I guess, meeting place. They come to meet Jane, and Abby's mom uh, used heroin. And because of that, Abby um, has some social disorders. She can't really communicate well. She's very timid. Um, she doesn't like talking, playing, laughing, anything like that. Four-year-old little girl. And so Abby walks in, and she's got her cute blonde pigtails and her big blue eyes. And she walks in, she sits down, she's coloring, she's working on puzzles, she's doing whatever. And Jane walks over and she tries to talk to her. And Abby really doesn't really want to talk, like at all. Because, you know, Jane tries telling a joke and Abby doesn't think it's funny. She just kind of sits there. And for Jane, this was discouraging. You see, Jane was a Christian and, like many of us, um, struggled with, okay, well, God, why would you put this in front of me, but you don't actually tell me how to deal with it, right? And so that night, Jane... Um, is going home and she begins researching. How can I fix this? You know, Jane, she's like, I went to six years of school for this. Like, I should be able to handle this on my own. So she walks in the next day and she begins going through everything that, that she read, everything that she studied, trying all these different treatment things to try to get something out of Abby. You ever meet someone and you can tell they're just hurting and you just want to, like, break through that wall? You know what I'm saying? Like, you meet someone and you can just tell, like, oh, man, if I could just get like a little giggle out of them, or if I can just give them a smile, like this is going to make their day. And Jane's trying everything, but Abby's like a brick wall. And so Jane that night um, goes to church, and her pastor's there, and she walks up to her pastor and says, hey, pastor, and explains the story. And the pastor, like most pastors would respond, goes to Jane and says, well, Jane, have you prayed about this? Jane goes, well, No. He goes, well, why not? He goes, well, what do you mean? I mean, I went, God, it was God's will for me to go to nursing school, for me to train under some of the best professors and doctors they have. Like, what? why should I pray? I know God has already given me everything I need to do this. I don't need to 
pray. So Jane goes home that night, and she's just discouraged. She goes, well, you know what? Maybe I should just pray. So she sits down. She prays. She asks God, God, would you just show me how I can reach this girl? How can I, get, how can I help this girl? How can I speak life to this little girl? She's driving in the next day, and you ever drive in your car, and you get like a song in your head? It happens to me with worship music all the time. I was driving up here Thursday night, and a worship song came in my head. It was weird because we actually ended up singing it that night. But a worship song in my head, and you have to remind yourself when worship songs come in your head and you're behind the wheel that you cannot close your eyes and raise your hands. You have to remember that, okay? I'm not the only one. I know it. Okay, you start crying. And you're like, I did. This is not okay. Holy Spirit, just bring it down, right? And so she's driving into work, and she doesn't get one of the songs we sing here. In fact, a song costs in her head that she hasn't heard of in a long, long time. It's an old Christian lullaby. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. She gets a song in her hand. She's like, what? She walks into work, and she goes, okay, well. Now, Jane hasn't talked about her faith much in front of her coworkers, let alone to her clients. She walks in, and Abby comes in, and there goes Abby coming in, and stone cold. And Abby walks in, and Jane sits down with her, and they're hanging out, and Abby comes over and sits on Jane's lap like usual, and Jane goes, Abby, can I sing you a song? Abby looks up at Jane. Jane goes, well, she didn't say no. So she begins singing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. Abby's just staring, just staring. So then Jane goes home, and she's thinking about it more, and the next day she goes back, she sings again. And the next day she goes back and sings again. And she does this for about two weeks, but guess what? Abby's still, like, just staring at her, nothing. So Jane goes home that night, and she's frustrated. She cries out to God, God, I had done everything you told me to do. I took the schooling that you allowed me to have. I, I prayed about it. God, God, I talked to my pastor about it. Like, I did everything you told me to do. And then I sang about Jesus to her. Like, I could have lost my job, and I, I put that all on. Like, God, I literally sang to this girl about you, and you did nothing. So at that point, not only is Jane angry at God, she's angry at the whole situation. And that night, for the first time in her career, she sits down and she begins to write out her letter of resignation. She walks in the next morning totally angry. She got an appointment with Abby at 10 a.m. She's got, a, she's got lunch with her supervisor at 12. At lunch, she's going to give her supervisor her letter. She's going to be done. She walks in to see Abby and she's just... Here's Abby again, stone cold, doesn't want anything to do with her. And they're playing, they're doing their normal thing, and Jane's just discouraged as always. And Abby comes over and sits in her lap. And this is the part of the session where, they would, where, where Jane would always sing to Abby. So Abby's sitting there, she's looking at Jane. Jane's not singing, she's just sitting there talking. And out of nowhere, for the first time since Jane had been working with Abby, Abby looks up to Jane and opens her mouth to speak. And she says these words. Miss Jane, why don't you sing to me about the man who loves me? At that moment, Jane's heart broke. You see, I think a lot of times, guys, we get stuck in a cheap imitation of what God designed our faith to be. 
We want God to answer our prayer right in this little box, the way we want it, when we want it, how we want it. But what God is saying and what we've learned today in this passage is if we're obedient by faith to love other people, to live differently in the sphere of influence that God has given us, then we will be people that aren't going through the motions of our Christian faith, but instead are experiencing the miracles of our Christian faith. In order to live differently, we must realize that we are not enough. In order to live differently, we must have a relationship with Jesus. And in order to live differently, we must be willing to do things nobody else is doing. Wellspring Church, would you stand with me as we pray before we close in one last song? Lord Jesus, I pray for each and every single one of the people in this room, God. Lord, I know, Lord, that you know not only their thoughts, not only their struggles, God, but you know the things that nobody else knows about them, God, and yet you still love them the same. Lord, we thank you that you love us in times where we can't even stand ourselves. Lord, when we feel lost, you are ever-present. God, I pray right now, Lord, for the couple that walked in today that their life is in chaos right now because they are consumed with their circumstance. God, would you reveal yourself to them in the midst of that? Father, I pray for the people in this room that maybe are still trying to figure out this whole Christian thing, this whole church thing, and that maybe today, Lord, they realize that, the way, that they need to leave, leave, live differently, but the only way they can do that is by having a relationship with you. Would you give them the courage, God, to talk to one of the team after this, Lord, about what that means, what that looks like? Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be a church that wouldn't just love our community, but would draw our community closer and closer to you, Jesus, because through you we're able to make a difference in our world. So Jesus, protect these people as they go out this week. And as we sing this song now, God, let these words be a praise and prayer to you, God. Let us not be ashamed of the people sitting around us. Lord, maybe we can't sing, but guess what, God? It doesn't matter. This isn't a performance, Lord. This is a worship experience, God. And we want to worship and praise you, Lord. So, Lord, as we sing, we pray that these words, these truths about you, God, would be pleasing to your ear because you are a great God. And we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.